0: Good morning. Hopefully you try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, there we go. Making sure. You don't want to fall asleep before the message starts. Wait till after. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus 34. Exodus chapter 34. As you're turning there, can I, can I ask you a personal question? Have you ever found yourself insufficient for the task? You just could not do it by yourself. It's too big or too much to handle. The other day I was in Walmart, and I uh, saw this lady in the clearance aisle struggling to get to the top shelf. There was something on clearance that she wanted, and she was a step stool short of reaching her goal. She's trying with valiant effort, but it was just, just a bit outside of her reach. So I walk over, I said, you know, can I help you? And, and I'm her superior by height, by over a foot yes, you can help me. So I reach up and grab something on the top shelf, hand it over to her. And she's beyond thankful. Thank you so much. Not a problem. You know, it must be great to be tall. I said, yes, except when you're riding in airplanes. And, <laughs> and that was it. And she walked and moved down the other aisle, saw something else, and realized this is also on the top shelf. So she comes on back. Could you help me one more time? Sure, not a problem. So I came back and helped her grab the thing and But it's just that sense of she knew she was at that point insufficient for the task. She found somebody that could help her with the task and thought, that's where I'm going to go. So she came straight back to me. If you can understand that idea, I need to be honest with you about this text today. I feel insufficient for the task. I want us to get to the top shelf. And I don't believe I can get us there. The only person we can turn to then is the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to spend time. we don't normally do this, if you're here, it's your first time, this is not something we normally do. But this text, in Exodus 34, is God's autobiographical sketch. He explains in words, we're not guessing who he is, who he, is he tells us who he is. And this leads to the most quoted passage in the entirety Scripture Scripture quoting Scripture, we find in Exodus 34, no other text is quoted more within the Bible than this text we're going to see, because it's that foundational. It's on the top shelf. I want us to get there. I don't think I'm the man for the job. So I'm going to ask you, if you would join me, find the people you're with, pray, and we're going to pray for a minute or two, and just ask the Lord, Lord, use your word and the Holy Spirit to help us see what we need to see, that our minds would be elevated, our hearts would embrace what we see in this text, not just to hear it, but to understand it as best our minds would allow, and then we might then be changed by it. Does this make sense? So we're gonna take a minute or two right now. Just pray in the seats, if you would, for your family, grab family. If there's a single that's close to you or somebody that's by themselves, pull them in. Just pray, Lord, help us understand this text. Allow me, so you're praying this person, allow me to understand this text. Allow me to be changed by it. Help the deficiency, and this is not self-deprecation. I'm being honest with you. This is a struggle. I d- had two weeks to think through this text, and I asked my dad, dad so you ever feel like there's just something, it's just, it's too high. You, there's not, I, I, I don't know. And there are times where, God forgive me, where I've walked into this pulpit, and I felt confident in my own skill to do the task. That's a bad idea. And it ends up that way. But this one where I'm just like, no matter what I do, we're not going to get there. We need Jesus, we need the Father, and we need the Spirit to work on our hearts to help us see what's in here. It's that fantastic. So let's take a minute. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to work in our hearts. I'll come back up, and we'll get into our text. Lord, to whom shall we turn? Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Our minds are dim. Our hearts are dull or calloused. We don't see as we ought to see. Perhaps we're so nearsighted and we've forgotten that we've been forgiven. Perhaps our own time in the presence of the Lord is is too short. Lord, I ask that you would work through us sinful people, that you would, as you promised, where two or three are gathered, that you would be in our midst. Lord, we ask that you would fulfill that promise today, be in our midst, work in our hearts, that the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, would use the authoritative word of God to speak into each one of our hearts Lord, help us to understand this text as you would have us understand it. Lord, use me as a tool in your hand. Turn me either way that you'd have me go. Help me to say only what would uplift you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Three weeks ago, we saw rebellion of God's people with a golden calf. Moses is on the mountain with God forty days and forty nights. There, God gave personally. God crafted the stones, the two tablets. According to Exodus thirty two, sixteen, they were the work of his hand. And he wrote on them, engraved on them, the ten words, the ten commandments. And the thirty two nineteen, Moses ends up comes down, he destroys the tablets because the people have broken. They've broken the covenant. They're not worthy of the words. Two weeks ago, we covered Exodus 33. Moses seeks to intercede on behalf of the Lord. And at the end, in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, Moses declares this bold prayer, show me your glory. The man who was with God all this time. He'd been on the mountain with him, but he's like, it's not enough. Show me your glory. I need more. I need more of what I have, or what you've given me. Now here in 34, 1 through 9, Moses called back to the mountain. The Lord will make good on his promise to allow his goodness to pass by Moses. We'll see that in 34, 1 through 9. In 34, 10 through 28, we see God recapped Moses things that have, for the most part, already been articulated. We will not spend time on this section. Lord willing, we'll get to some of this in small group. Okay, so if you don't have a small group, we'd love to have you come. But it, you'll see there, not everything is word for word, verbatim. So like in 34, 24, you'll see the sense that God will protect their homelands when they keep the feast. So it's not everything. We're getting a little bit fuller picture, but we'll get to this a little bit, hopefully in small groups. But there's that sense of don't make other gods in verse 14. Don't go after other gods. Because God is a jealous God. We've already seen this in chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. So we're not going to recap that because we're going to spend the majority of our time at the beginning. Exodus 34, 1 through 9. At the very tail end of Exodus 34, 29 through 35, we have this odd section. And if you've not read Exodus 34, you're going to kind of be like, what is going on here? We have this odd section that describes what happens to Moses after being exposed to the goodness of God. Like, w- w- uh, what's happening here? what's happening here we'll get to that we'll look at that for a small for a small portion of today's text. but the primary focus will be on 34 1 through 9 so with great expectation let's look at 34 verse number one the lord said to moses cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and i will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai, and the Lord had commanded him and took in his two hands the tablets of stone. The Lord calls Moses to himself in the cloud. Unlike the first tablets, Moses has to cut these out himself. Like previous encounters with the holy God, parameters are set. In verse number three, who can come, how close they can come, and even rules for livestock. Be very cautious, very careful when approaching this God. Parameters, fences have been given for your own sake, for your own sake. Moses obeys the Lord. He heads up the mountain and look at verse number five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Moses, back in thirty-three twenty-three, he asked the Lord to see his glory. Sorry, back in thirty-three, but in thirty-three twenty-three the Lord promised that he could, I can't show you my face, or else you'd be gone. But I'll allow my goodness to pass by, and when my goodness passes by, I'll allow you to have a peek at the tail end of my goodness. Yet what we read in verse 6 and 7 is not a glorious sight, but it is a glorious word. Yes, Moses saw something, right? He's in the cloud with the Lord. He saw something. But our description here. It's nothing like what we sang about in Revelation 9, Revelation. Right, rainbows and colors and, and the song that we just sang and holy, oh, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And, and then you go back to the, reading the entire book of Revelation, you see these colors and hues, there's 12 foundation stones and this prism of light and it's just like colors going everywhere. It's like, what's going on? We, we don't have this description here in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It's not what he saw It's what he heard. It's what he heard. To hear, then, his word is to see him. You understand this? To hear his word is to see him. When God speaks, we see him clearly and as fully as our minds and our eyes can comprehend. And if you could see him, what would you see? To be blinded. Could you, could you even understand would your brain, even be able to comprehend his greatness and his immensity, but God allows Moses to hear, and this aspect is the sense of his goodness. It is this information, this autobiographical sketch of himself that God gives to Moses. And it's that information, not the sight, but the sound of what he heard. That's what Moses thought is imperative for you and I to understand this side of that mountain. What the Israelites need to know, what future hearers of God's word need to know, is not what it looked like, but who God proclaimed himself to be. This is, as I mentioned earlier, verse 6 and 7. So our memory verse for today, which is a mouthful. It is. But it is, this passage is the most quoted and most alluded to text in the entire Bible. Where scriptural authors are going back to this passage as the foundation for what they will say later on. Because of this, this. For as we found out, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. So, so what is this? And we read this in our scripture memory. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God passes by, proclaims his name, and he gives us five characteristics of himself just in verse six alone. First, God is merciful. Be honest. If you're Moses, and you're gonna, God's gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you who I am, do you think the first word out of his mouth after the golden calf incident is gonna be merciful? Wouldn't we think he's holy? You look, Some of you look back at verse six. You didn't see holy in there, did you? Isn't he holy? Absolutely. Wouldn't you think he's jealous? Isn't our God a jealous God? Absolutely. But that's not what's there. What's the first word God uses to describe that he is the great I am? After I'm the great I am, then what? I am merciful. I'm merciful. The Lord wants Moses and every sinful man, woman, and child to understand mercy comes first. Mercy is God keeping from you what you deserve. From the fact that we have God's word, that, that that is a grace, but the fact that he does not smush you the instant you take a breath is his mercy. The reason that you're allowed to be here in the service today, it is grace, but it's also mercy because you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to hear his words. I don't deserve to hear his words. How can sinful man have communion with a holy God if he is not merciful? Well, he's holy. Yes. So what do we need first? Mercy. Grant me mercy, Lord. Son of David, have mercy on me. Oh man, we need mercy. It's the first. The fact that we're here, again, this is mercy. This this word mercy is not just God keeping from what it deserves, but also displays this emotion of compassion. The root word tends towards a maternal, a mother's compassion for her children. That's how God loves his own. We see this in Luke 19, 1, when Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem and he weeps. Oh, Jerusalem. It's this word, that's that compassion of Christ that he had for his own and he had for the lost. He is merciful and gracious. Grace is God giving to you what you don't deserve. Like for starters, God gives himself. In the previous two chapters, because of their sin with the golden calf, the Lord told Moses, I will not go with you. I'll fulfill my promise. I'll get you there. But no, not so much. I'm not coming. Moses intercedes, pleads to the Lord, and the Lord said, all right, I'll come with you. I will be with you. And I will reinstate the covenant with you, which he does in 34, 10, and on. That's His grace. In 33.3, He said, not only can I not go with you, if I did go with you, I would consume you. So in that sense, it was a mercy of God that I didn't go with you. But the fact that now He will go with them and not consume them is both merciful and gracious. not going to give you what you deserve, and I'm going to give you something you don't deserve, me. He's merciful. He's gracious. He is slow to anger. How thankful are you that God does not have your temper? Hey, Dad? Grandpa? Huh? How thankful are you God does not have your temper? Mom, you keep losing it? Are you slow to anger like our Saviors? He's so slow to anger, he made his own prophets mad that he was that slow to anger. So think through this concept. The people that had received his mercy and grace, the people that he was so slow to anger with, were at times in the Bible upset. They were angry. That God was not angry. Quick, pick this up here. You need to be as irate over this as I am. Well, what are you talking about? You ever heard of this prophet, what's his name, Jonah? Please do not think of some aquatic creature swallowing him up. Pass that by. It's great. Get that out of your head. Jonah, why wouldn't Jonah go to Nineveh? To his enemies, to the baddies. Why wouldn't he go there? Because he knew if he went there and he preached a reluctant message, which it seems like he did, he's the worst. He's the worst preacher. Like, Repent or did be destroyed. All right, another few more. Repent or be destroyed. Walk through the city. Then I'm going to sit outside and hope destruction comes. What a fella. Invite him to your wedding, right? See, Jonah did not want God to grant mercy and grace. He did not want God to be slow to anger. So he wouldn't go. The Lord took his awful choice, turned it back for others' good and his glory. Jonah ends up in Nineveh, preaches his heartfelt, message, sits outside hoping God will not be merciful and gracious. He's angry, he's mad, and listen to what he prays and tell me if these words sound familiar to you. Listen to Jonah's words in Jonah chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew this is who you were. It's good for me. Do not extend this to others. Oh, Lord, help us. This is sometimes how you hear people in the Christian community talking about people that don't know the Lord. Bring judgment down upon them. God help us. Do you know what they're doing? They're sinning. Like you and I. We wish judgment upon them. Friend, if God should strike anybody, it should be me. Or me and you together. We do to deserve mercy and grace. So if you see somebody embroiled in sin, somebody that does not know the Lord and they're living a life that's destruction for themselves and maybe they're tainting others, you pray, God, be slow to anger. Be merciful and gracious. Bring this person to yourself. Keep them from the judgment they deserve. Keep them from the judgment I deserve. This is a top-shelf view of God, that we don't like to ascend. Give me the mercy. Give me the grace. When I screw up time and time again, be slow to anger with me, but don't expect me to be merciful to others. Don't expect me to be gracious to others. Don't expect me to be slow to anger. Get out of the way, pal. Slow to anger. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds. He bubbles over with steadfast love. In Exodus 15, 13, God led his people, it says in Exodus 15, 13, out of Egypt in steadfast love, out of slavery, and redeemed them to himself. Why would he bring them out? Because he loves them. If he loves them, where would he take them? To himself. Come mother hen. Come on. Here we go. Come to me. In Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died. boils over in who he is. its He emanates. It just comes out of him. It's old faithful. There it is again. The love of the Lord. To me. To the nations. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now some of you, CSB, New King James, you're going to have the word he's true or truth. Both are good translations. I'm going to ask you to remember the word truth instead of faithful. So I know I'm using the ESV. I know it says faithful. The Hebrew word can, does mean truth. It means trustworthiness. It means true to keep your word faithful. It means right to be assured. But I want you to understand this word truth because we're going to come back to the word truth with another word in our text later on. Okay, so we use one of the other five terms with this word truth. We'll get to it. Hold on to that thought. I want you to know that either one of those words works in the sense that he's faithful to keep his word. What he says he will do, he will do. He's also all truth himself. Next, we move on to verse 7. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. When you read thousands, you need to read this in the sense of, he's speaking of generations. We'll pick up the word generations later on so you can understand the comparison keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. Not thousands of people, but for thousands of generations. He forgives iniquity. He forgives transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We, we love verse 6. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. He's faithful and true. Give me, give me, give me. He will by no means clear the guilty. Yahoo! Pass. He's going to visit our iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Like, mm, I don't like that. I don't, no me gusta. I don't like that. Come back to the beginning. He will keep his steadfast love for thousands of generations. He is promising this to his people. Thousands of generations. He will do this for them. This amazing, merciful, gracious God, so to anger, rich in love and truth, will keep his steadfast love for thousands of generations. Not only that, he will forgive wrongdoing. Three different Hebrew words here are used for wrongdoing iniquity, transgression, and sin. He forgives iniquity. This is perversion. Or moral wrong. He forgives transgression. This is a revolt or a rebellion. He forgives sin. Just a, a serious offense against who he is. Can you think of a people group in the Bible that committed all three categories of, this sin, of these sins? You don't have to look f- far, right? It's like, you go back two chapters and watch the people dance around in promiscuous lifestyles, worshiping the golden calf. And we'll get all three I can forgive that, I can forgive that, I can forgive that, I can forgive that, I can forgive that. He could just use one word, and we'd be good, but he he uses three different words, helps us say The scope, he can forgive anything. Friend, if you're here and you're wondering, can God forgive me for, name it, the answer is yes. But what if, yes. But But you don't know, yes. Well, pastor, you don't know me. Apparently, from what you're self-describing, that's probably a good thing at this point in time, right? If it's that bad, not say that tongue-in-cheek, friend, there's nothing that God can't forgive. Do you think your sin is greater than He is? Your sin's greater than His mercy or grace? Come on. So if the old hymn says grace, that is greater than all Our sin. Can you think of other people that commit these three acts of treason? Ring a bell. We do moral wrong, perversions at times. We rebel, we revolt, we offend a holy God. god can forgive them all christian you should know this better than anyone else how thankful we should be he forgives but what happens if somebody does not want to be forgiven what happens if somebody does not want to admit that they are wrong have have you ever tried to get a small child to admit that they were wrong and they don't they don't want to Mom, Dad, that ring a bell. Have you ever had that? I mean, you could have 15 cameras that show exactly what they did, when they did it, time-stamped. And you could get a little kid to be like, it wasn't me. (laughs) You're right there. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. Right? What happens if somebody, child or adult, takes that attitude towards our holy God? Our merciful, gracious God. A slow to anger God. What happens if people turn to him and say, I'm not in the wrong. I don't need your forgiveness. And I don't want it. What does the end of the verse say? He he will by no means clear the guilty. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you refuse to repent, refuse to acknowledge your sin, if you refuse to plead for mercy and get grace, if you ref- refuse the forgiveness of God, then you need to step up to the plate and accept the punishment due. Someone has to pay for your sin. Somebody does. You can do it yourself or Option B, you can let the Lord do it for you. But you have to ask. God forgive. Lord save. Son of David. Show mercy. And these consequences of sin they, they go beyond ourselves. Can't tell you the number of times that my wife and I sat down with a teenager student living in a moral life thinking this is only going to impact me. My sin is only impacting me. Why is this such a big deal? This doesn't impact other people. At that moment, you try to help them see that they're delusional. But it doesn't work. They only see themselves just like a dad who refuses to lead his home. Or refuses to be spiritually engaged. He's like, "This isn't impacting me." They can do whatever they want. To think that that doesn't have an impact on his children, he's delusional. A mother who thinks that her lack of patience or her constant gossip will hurt no one—it's delusional. The sins that we commit have long-lasting ramifications. Mom, Dad, you realize that you and I, as parents, we could be the greatest hindrance, the greatest roadblock to our children thriving spiritually. We can't make them love Jesus. But by our own example, we could keep them from doing it. Well, how so? They just act like you. If your child is in church as much as you're in church, is that good? Good. If your child serves as much as you serve in church, we're doing good. Your child reads the word and prays as much as you do. We're doing good. That's what you desire for them. The way I taught my boys how to shoot the basketball is the way I shoot the basketball. What I do, I teach them to do. Over and over and over again. How you look at this building, how you look at church and being involved here is what your kids, will. that's how they're going to respond. They will do what you do. Oftentimes, they'll excuse excess even more. Well, you don't go like you should, so why do I need to go at all? Our sins impact Our decisions impact the children that follow us and our children's children. So mom and dad, if your kids are here 80% of the time you are, if they're involved 80% of the way in which you're involved, what would you expect to see in 15, 20 years? Will they be here? Will they serve at all? Will they got their dad or they got their mother. We don't both have to be like going, oh, my soul. The impact, they watch your example. And the Lord's trying to tell you, warning sign, danger, danger, Will Robinson. If you head down this road, the consequences are generational. Back in these times, many of these households would be two, three plus generations. And the sins of the Father would impact, again, these entire homes. This does not mean the Lord punishes the children for the father's sin, because Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy 24 and led one author to conclude. Moses had made it clear. Children were not to be punished for the sins of the parents. Deuteronomy 24:16, But children would feel the impact of breaches of God's law by their parents' generations as a natural consequence for disobedience. There are consequences for our sins. Natural and spiritual. Also notice, though, the disparity in generations. For the righteous, God shows his love for how long? Thousands of generations. What about for those that are acting in moral wrong and moral perversion and offense? For how many generations? Only three, two, four. Mercy and grace? You think he could double down Millions of generations, thousands upon thousands, but no, he is slow to anger. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Moses hears the Lord saying this, and he's somewhere in this cleft of this rock. The goodness of God has passed by. We don't know what all he saw, but he is stunned by what he heard. What is his response? Look at verse number eight. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. What's Moses' takeaway? This God, I'm just, this God who I've just heard is worthy of it all. I will bow, and I will worship him with all that I have because he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to truth. And he'll extend this to generations upon generations, thousands of generations to those that love him, but he will not clear the guilty, so I give him my all. God, forgive me. I'm yours. I worship you and you alone. Moses bows his head and worships, and then Moses makes a request of the Lord. This is one of those, have you ever heard somebody tell you that they can, they got a good deal, or I, I can get you, I can get you a, a deal over here, I can, I can get this, get this for you. And then you ever call them on it, and you're hoping like, man, I hope he says he can do what he said he'd do, because I'm kind of banking on that guy. Moses turns in that same kind of request, if you are merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding steadfast, love, and faithfulness and truth and, and, it, and, and if, if you will extend that faithfulness, love, that faithful love to thousands of generations but you won't clear the guilty can I ask you to do something for us? What does he say in verse number 9? If I have found favor in your sight O Lord please let the Lord go in the midst of us be present for it is a stiff-necked people. Look around. A bunch of yokels out here. Bent on doing wrong. It's like we act like we don't know our left from our right. Every time you tell us to do, go straight, we go backwards. We're stiff-necked. A bunch of stubborn, ruthless, evil folks. Pardon our iniquity. And our sin. Two of the words used earlier that God used to describe. And take us for your inheritance. Allow us presence permanently. Don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Stay with us from here on out. And I confess for us all, we are a stiff-necked people. That's why he says pardon whose iniquity? Their iniquity—that's not the word he uses. Our iniquity. Most—I'll lump myself in this crowd because I'm the same. I'm the same dude. Pardon our iniquity. If you won't clear the guilty, forgive us. Forgive us. Make us righteous. Because if God makes me righteous, then I'm not guilty anymore. You understand this? And the Lord says your debt is paid in full and you are forgiven. You are guilty. No more. So if you're not going to clear the guilty, I don't want to remain guilty, but I am guilty. So forgive my sin completely. Take my bill. Take my sin upon yourself. Don't let me bear it. God, I can't bear it. And if I stand here and bear it, you won't clear the guilty. So forgive the guilty. Moses comes pardoning, Lord, please pardon, intercede, pardon their sin. Let's go a step further. Take us for your inheritance. Your possession, your peculiar people. Make us your own. How Moses expects the Lord to do this with a sinful lot, based solely off, this is the cry I give to you after I hear who you are. You say you're merciful. I'm not asking you to prove it, but I need you to prove it right now. (laughs) I'm not asking you to be gracious, but even me asking these words is gracious. I'm asking you, please be slow to anger. Abound in steadfast love, abound in faithfulness and truth, and show us that love for generations, because Lord, if you don't, we remain in that last category of the guilty. And you will not clear the guilty. So forgive. Forgive. Forgive us. Verse 10, God commits to continue to make a covenant with his people. Look at thirty four ten. and he said, Behold, I'm making a new covenant before all. Before all your people, I will do marvels. Such has not been created in either earth or any nation, and the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. What? (laughs) They can still taste the gold in their drinks. They can still see the broken tablets. They're still picking up the Solo Cups from their party in pagan rebellion. And God says, I will do marvels among this lot. How would you describe the Lord then? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful and true. You're going to do this for us. Again? I mean, at the beginning, like when we were leaving, this is really cool. And all the plagues and wonders and signs and the rest of you and then, you know, that's great. And this all, I know we complained a couple times here and there, but the golden calf may have been the straw that we thought broke the camel's back. And you're telling us no? You're telling us that we couldn't sin enough in the sense that we could break the bank? You're telling us you can still forgive even that and not only would you forgive, but that you could do beyond that, marvel still in our midst. You still will come with, yes. Because I'm merciful, and I'm gracious, and I'm slow to anger, and I have bound, bubble over, in steadfast love and faithfulness and truth. I will do it. I will do it. In verses 11 through 28, God reiterates, much and, and hopefully, again, we can cover some of this in some of the gaps in our small group, but it's truly amazing. Move, move down to verse 29. We see Moses coming down from the mountain at the end of chapter 34, 29 through 35. The very end of the verse, in verse 29, we read, Moses did not know as he's coming down from the mountain. The skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. His, his face was was glowing the old animation movie you know monsters versus aliens there's this scene where the bride gets hit by this meteorite if you haven't seen it i'm not encouraging you'll see it it's a, it's a kid's movie it's very dumb but lady gets hit by this meteorite and she comes in she's going to get married the bride you know she got hit by the meteorite she comes in and, and, and her fiance looks at her and says susan you're, you're glowing and she's like that's well, great he's like, no i mean you're glowing you're green And all of a sudden, she realizes she's green. She realizes she's glowing. And and I say, just that picture, I don't know why that's my, I go to animated movies. Maybe I'm still a child at heart. Toys R Us kid. So here we are and thinking of, I don't don't know what Moses come down the mountain, what color his skin is, what it looked like for him to glow. It's like the the old, old school toy, the glow worm. And I don't know what this looked like when he came down off that mountain. But it it freaked some people out. It freaked his brother out. Now, if you have a sibling, if you freak out your sibling because something's wrong with you, it's another level, right? They're like, oh, that's not good, (laughs) right? If your sibling is freaked out by how you look at that point in time, not scared, just like, mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Because, I mean, look, this, this is Aaron. Look at verse 30. Aaron, Aaron, his brother, And all the people of Israel, they saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Like, (laughs) bro, I love you, but stay away. I don't want what you got. To solve this issue of this this holy, glory filled radiation, Moses decides to don a fashion statement, the first male veil. He puts this over top of his face, verse 34, 35. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. I don't need to remove the veil when I'm standing before a holy God. I don't need to remove the veil when I stand before my merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful, true God. Because he sees my soul as I am anyways. And I get to speak to him face to face as a man does with his friend. But as a mediator to his people, they cannot handle it. They can't get the full picture. You've got to understand this. Moses is their mediator, and God will raise up a prophet like him, Deuteronomy tells, that they will listen to at some point in time. But as a mediator, he speaks, communes with God face-to-face as the man does with his friend, but the people of Israel can't handle the full picture. They can't handle the full measure of someone who's that close. Let that draw your mind forward. But Moses goes in, he removed the veil until he came out, verse 34 and 35, and when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. This may seem strange to us all, and you're like, why do I care about somebody's problematic complexion? How does this impact you and I? And there's practical suggestions that can come out of this. When you spend time with God, shouldn't others know? Not in the sense that you should be glowing, like literally glowing. But if you're constantly in the presence of the Lord, wouldn't people see that in how you live and and talk and walk and something's different? I don't know how you know how you do it. We've seen that here in the last couple weeks. But some of our own members have lost loved ones and how they've responded and, and people in the world just gotta stare at them going, How do you how are you doing this? At the same time, more is going on here than just a glowing head. Flip over to Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. I do not, unless we wanted to go through an entire extra sermon, I do not have time to go through Second Corinthians three, seven through eighteen there's a small part of me that really wants to, but we're not going to do that. So I'm going to try to stay disciplined and stay with just a a quick excerpt. Read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18 later on. It's my encouragement to you. If you want to understand what's going on with the glowing head man in Exodus 34, Paul gives you an exposition through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going to explain to you exactly what they should have understood back then. In Exodus 34, Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. In Paul retells the story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He helps us better understand those that fixed on the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant that the veil was over their eyes, just like the Israelites of old could not see Moses' face, so too the Jews in Paul's day and in, and in today as well could not see Jesus to be their Messiah. A veil remained over their heart, according to 2 Corinthians 3. You can see this in verse number 15. A veil. When they read the law of Moses, a veil remains over their heart. They don't see it. They don't understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They don't understand the gospel. But if you know Christ as your Savior, it's because the veil has been removed. God has graciously allowed you to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, fully God and fully man. What did John say? Of Christ in John 14. Listen to this. And the Word became flesh. Stay here in Second Corinthians three. But listen to John 1.14. The Word became flesh, and dwelt. He tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Just think through that verse and go back to Exodus thirty four. And how many words do we have in common? His glory, his dwelling. Who is he? God is gracious. God is also his truth. He's truth or faithful. Jesus is full of grace and truth. What Moses heard about Jesus is. He's visible. You want to see the goodness of God in full display? Look to the cross. Look to our Savior. He's full of grace and truth. He is whom God proclaimed himself to be in Exodus 34. He's the one. So if you turn to Christ, the veil has been removed. God has allowed you to understand who he is. Now look at 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Often taken out of context, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, what? He's speaking about Moses. How did we get a we in there? Who's he incorporating? We. We who? We all. All right. That's kind of nice. We're in the same, same camp. We all with unfailed, unveiled face. When was Moses' veil off? When he was where? In the presence of God himself. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The veil removed for us allows us to bask in his glory today, and when we do, we, like Moses, are changed. We may not glow green like Susan. But we should be changing more and more into his image. That is the glory. That God, our faces don't glow, but our body, mind, and spirit being transformed in the same image. Ever wonder why it's so important to read the word of God? Ever wonder why it's so important to pray, to spend time with our Savior to understand what the gospel is, to understand who our Savior is, to memorize the Word. Because the more time we spend in His presence, the more we are transformed. We have to be with Him with unveiled face. One writer said of this, like Moses, then, Paul and all believers approach God in confidence and freedom with unveiled faces. And like Moses, also they behold the glory of the Lord. We are to approach God in confidence. Didn't we hear that today from this Rebecca reading from Hebrews chapter 4? Because we have a high priest who knows what we have endured, we come then boldly, right? We come with confidence. says, with confidence, we draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we go boldly now with unfailed base to the throne of God, what do we receive? What are the two things The writer of Hebrew tells us we receive, if we would go to the throne, we receive mercy and grace. Who is God? The Lord. The Lord, merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Where would you find that? Why can't I have the cleft at the rock? Christian, you can have it now. You can have it 10 minutes from now. You can have it every moment of your life if you would go boldly to the throne of grace with confidence, unfailed face. unveiled face. Let me go. Let me have access. You have it. It's granted. The veil has been torn. The way has been made, and our veil has been removed. so we can boldly, like Moses, go and receive mercy and grace in time of need? Where else would you find mercy and grace? But the throne. May we come off. And so what does all this mean for us today? First, our friend, today we learned who God is, I hoped. I hope the Spirit did a work that I I hope he preached, and I, I assume he did preach a better sermon than I ever could to help you understand how great and mighty he is. But if you're here and you don't know him, you have to also understand he will by no means clear the guilty. But also, you must understand, he can forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. Have you ever asked God to forgive you of your sin and asked him to be Lord of your life? Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Make me your possession. Grant me your presence. Forgive my sin. Is this not the prayer of Moses? Grant me your presence. Make me your possession. Forgive me my sin. What more needs to be said? If you will do that, friend, he will save. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You may wonder, well then, what about the guilty? Romans three twenty three through 26 helps us understand that we all have sin. We, we, we've all done wrong. We've all fallen short. And that we can be made right by Christ who took the punishment for our sin. This allows God to be just, not clearing the guilty, and justifier, the one who forgives and makes right. In order for God to be just, or truth, i He has to punish sin. And so again, Jesus comes to the plate for you and says, Let me take that punishment. Jesus, please. Save. Forgive. Allow me the words to speak a second. Pardon. Pardon me. Forgive me. Grant me your presence. Allow me to be your possession. Come. That'll do. Come on. You're mine. That, that bird right there is free to go. His debt has been paid. Friend, that could be you today. Would you admit that you and I, that we are sinners, believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and would you call on his name? If you have questions on how you can do that, see myself, a Christian friend, that you came with, you need to understand that there is grace and there is forgiveness in Him. He is merciful. For all those that claim to be Christians, is there anything you personally need to repent of? You think of these characteristics of God, He's merciful, right? What, what do Christians, what are we called? We're called little Christs that we are to act, live, and be like our God and Savior. He's merciful, Christian. How are we doing? He's gracious. That sounds like you. He's slow to anger. That's one of your top characteristics. Abounding in loyal love. Live for truth and faithfulness. Does this sound like you? Perhaps you just need to repent and say, God forgive. Listen to these words from Joel 2 12 through 13. Yet even now, Joel writes, declares, Lord, return to me with all your hearts and fasting with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Why, why, Joel, should I rend my heart, not my garments? Return to the Lord, he says. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Does that sound familiar to you? So repent. The very name that proclaims his goodness, the very name that that calls his people to himself is the very name that also calls our hearts to repentance when we go astray. We call to memory who our God is and going, that's right, God forgive, help me get back on track. Next, people around Moses knew when he was with the Lord, your coworkers, your family, your friends, Do they know when you've been with the Lord? Let me flip that. Can people easily tell when you haven't been? Can people easily tell when you've not spent the time with the Lord that you should have? What is your problem today? You ever gotten that? And you know what it is. And it's not traffic. And it's not work. And it's not stress. You know in your heart of hearts. Taken my first love and went out thinking I could do it by myself. Obviously, I can't. Christian, will you enter his presence today? Not just in prayer. Will you spend time in the word? Will you seek his face? Your face, Lord, will I seek. Enter boldly. Receive the mercy and grace that is available to you in the time of need. Today, lastly, you've heard God's description of himself that's led Moses to bow down and worship. I don't know how to wrap this up other than saying we, we probably need to spend 30 seconds to a minute of just praying our own selves and maybe bowing down and worship before if you need to confess your sins or you don't know Jesus, ask Him to save you now. But, Christian, if you're here before we do this prayer, ask the Lord to forgive you, whatever you can think of right now. But I would like our prayer time for 30 seconds to a minute just to be praise. Just praise. God, you are who you said you are. You are merciful, gracious, slow to anger, bounding, to steadfast love. And I give you praise. After that, we'll have the music team will come up. Even now, I'll I'll pray to close this time. But as the music team comes up, we'll turn turn your eyes. we'll sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We'll sing that. But right now let's just let's praise him for who he is. Let's do that for the next minute. Pray. Lord, we thank you. And we praise you. Help us to worship you as a God who is merciful. We thank you that you've granted us your mercy. That you've kept the punishment we deserve us, God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace It's poured on us day after day, granting us what we don't deserve, granting us not just a building to worship in, musicians to hear, the written word to hold in our hands, but Lord, you've graciously given us yourself. And that is enough. We thank you your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are slow to anger. How quick your anger should be towards us because you are also just. But Lord, in in your mercy and in your grace, you are slow to anger and we thank you for sparing us our many sins, granting us time and time again to turn back, turn back, turn back. And each time we are welcome, God, thank you for being slow to anger. Thank you for abounding in steadfast love. When we wake up in the morning, we are kissed by the breath of God. Thank you for the love that you grant us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your word that what you say you will truly do because you are truth. You cannot lie. Lord, grant us as we leave this place a high, exalted view of who you are. May our hearts worship not just today, but throughout this week as we recall daily, as we enter your presence daily, as we pray daily, may we we recall how awesome our God is.